eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, what is up, everybody? New edition of the Players' Lounge for you, brought to you by HeelsForLife.org. I'm Joey Powell. Taylor Vipless is here, as always. Vip, appreciate you making the time, man. How is South Florida? It is great. I'm I'm sad that I'm happy that the season is coming close to a start, but I'm kind of sad that the players' lounge is, is slowly coming to an end. But uh, I think we have a couple of good ones before before the season ends. We've definitely got our work cut out for us today. Uh, today's guest is Elijah Green, and and you and I talked about this before we we started recording today. Um, if there's ever been somebody I'm excited to talk to on the current squad. It's this guy, one, because he's a good interview, but two, because he's got stuff to tell. And Vip, this might be one of those dudes that's coming after our jobs relatively soon. If he doesn't go into politics, I think, Elijah, I think you're polished enough to where you could end up being a senator or something even, even <laughs> bigger like that. But um, first off, uh, I need to mention this show is brought to you by a partnership between Inside Carolina and Heels for Life. Heels for Life is the UNC football uh, NIL collective. Graham Boone and, and his squad over there are doing a lot of great things for the UNC football team not just helping them make money off of their likeness and, and their talents, but allowing them to be exposed to really cool opportunities in the community, plugging them in with nonprofit organizations to help them understand what it means to be a, a community a community citizen and a good community member. And if you would like to participate and be a part of Heels for Life, you can make a monthly contribution by going to heels, the number four life.org. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's right there on the left side of your screen. You can't miss it. We've made it easy for you. Heelsforlife.org. Support UNC football players. And, you know, you're you're also helping to make content like this happen. So, Vip, we're going to start with Mr. Elijah Green, and hopefully this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I'll let you get things rolling. Uh, Viplus, handing it off to you, sir. Elijah, so growing up, I, I was a huge Jets fan. I grew up in <laughs> Rockland County, New York. Your dad was a star for the Jets. How much did football play a part in, in your upbringing? Uh, football was huge in my upbringing, just like 
growing up and just being a huge Jets fan and going to the games as a young kid and being able to just see my dad and how he interacted like with fans and stuff and walking into like MetLife Stadium and you see someone wearing like a 21 green jersey. So that's like really, really cool for me to be able to see that. And, you know, football was always huge. It's kind of weird because like a lot of people would think that my dad would kind of force football on me, him being like a professional athlete and everything. But the first like pretty much half of my life, like I didn't really have anything to do with football much. Like I didn't know anything really about it. I was more into like soccer, swimming. So I wasn't, football was nowhere on my mind. And actually the way I kind of started playing football was we lived in Tampa, Florida. My dad was, um, was a pro scout with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And my next door neighbor guy uh, right across the street, Landon, he played football and he was a little bit older than me. So I kind of looked up to him like a big brother and he was playing football, tackle football. So I went to my parents and I wanted to be a lot like him. So I would go like, I, I want to play football now. Like we would be in a backyard, like tackling each other and running the ball. I think that's where I got my love for running the ball. But like uh, started playing flag that year because of because of him. And then the next year we moved back to Georgia and I asked my dad if I could play tackle football because I did flag the year before. And he was kind of unsure because he didn't know if I wanted to get into tackle so soon. He didn't actually didn't start playing tackle football, I think, until his late middle school, maybe even high school. So he was really, really late to the game. So he kind of had that same vision for me that he would kind of keep me away from it until then. But I convinced him to play in third grade and kind of that's where I grew my love for football and kind of started up developing and wasn't a running back at first. I was a tight end and a DN. So but I always knew I wanted to play running back and I have a kind of a funny story. It's uh, it was tied in. So I would beg my coach. I was like, I want to be running back. Like, this is not my position. I'm a, I'm a running back. I'm not a tight end. And one game, our running back got hurt. And I just went to my coach. I was like, just can you put me at running back, please, just for one play and let me like, just let me try it out. And I went in for that one play and I broke a 60 yard touchdown. And I was kind of running back ever since that day. So that's my kind of little story about how football kind of played in my life. That coach probably takes a lot of credit for, for your success, <laughs> yeah. even, even though it was you that put yourself there. A uh, couple of quick points that I had. First off, Jets fans were built different. The, the Vinny mm-hmm. Testaverde days, the Chad Pennington days. Now we have Aaron Rodgers. So hopefully uh, things are on the come up. But I also thought it was interesting. You said you wanted to start playing football because of your neighbor that you looked up to and not yeah. somebody who was on the all Jets decade team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was kind of the thing that kind of got me started. And like because I wasn't really a big football fan too much. Like this is kind of when I was like eight, nine years old and didn't care too much about football. So he kind of introduced me to that. And then kind of when I went to my dad, I was like, I want to play football. Obviously, I knew he was excited because he's like, okay, yeah, now we got him. <laughs> but then uh, kind of just going forward, like it wasn't until maybe sixth grade, I kind of went to my dad. I was like, dad, like I want you to start training me for real and you to kind of show me the ropes and teach me everything you learned because he was kind of hands off, like let me enjoy the game. Let me find the passion for myself and everything and kind of took me to like kind of find that love. And I went to him and I was like, hey, dad, like you got all the tools, you got the keys. I want to learn from you. 
tell me everything you know. And he kind of took me and took me under his wing. And that's kind of when we really built that extra bond with football and kind of came, he became my trainer and uh, throughout even till today. So like really, really thankful for him and kind of bringing me up. And through that, I feel like I developed so much just because of the knowledge that he had for the game and what he could instill upon me. So we're talking with Elijah Green, running back for this UNC Tar Heels squad. Elijah, you you finally get into football, and you're playing high school ball in Georgia. And, and we know Georgia is a massive hotbed for high school talent. Uh, and you guys won you know multiple state championships. How did being a part of that sort of winning culture mold your practice habits and how you handle winning or losing personally? Yeah, so – Throughout high school, I think I lost like four games and like from like sophomore year to senior year, I lost three. So like that was a huge part of me, like just building that winning culture and everything. And I feel like us at Blessed Trinity, we did a really, really good job at kind of building that culture and getting everybody bought in. So like a big decision for me was finding a college that I felt like I could find that kind of sort of feel that I had in uh, at Blessed Trinity. And UNC was one of those schools that I kind of got a similar feel that I felt in high school without with that kind of culture of wanting to win, a culture that the team was really close together and the coaches really and genuinely cared for the players and wanted to help them succeed and have fun while they're playing the game. So, you know, winning was really, really important for me. And you know, I kind of feel like that's who I am as a person. I'm a winner and I'm going to always try to use what I've learned throughout the years to carry that along with me. And, you know, because I kind of feel like winning is a culture and one person and can kind of encourage another person. And then that's builds a chain reaction to where everyone kind of buys in into that culture. And I feel like that's what is common denominator among the best teams in the country is that closeness and that culture that is built within and gets everybody on the team to kind of buy into that culture. I want to come back to that thought in a little bit, but help our listeners and, and viewers understand what it's like being from an area that is such a hotbed for, for college football talent. I'm sure you had a lot of buddies who went uh, to, you know, uh, FBS, FCS division two, but played football collegiately. What, what does that do for you as, as a prep player and how does, does that give you more pressure? Does that help motivate you? Or, or is it just kind of speaking to your point about culture? Is it just one of those things where you grow up in it and then you're in it yourself? Yeah, um, I kind of feel like it's kind of the thing that you kind of grow up. And I feel like more looking at it, reflecting back on my high school career, like I really didn't understand how big football really was in Georgia until like I hear about like other schools. Like I thought it was common for like, high school team or like my state championship game I had like 10,000 or 15,000 people. I thought that was kind of like a normal kind of thing or like every single one of my high school games, like completely packed out on both sides. And, you know, I kind of thought that was a kind of a normal thing until you really, really like talk to other people from different States. So I thought it was kind of cool to really learn about how big and football is a part of Georgia. And then to kind of carry that with me now and, kind of have a little bit of pride like 
kind of going around, around the locker room, I always kind of brag. I'm like, yeah, my team was probably the best team on <laughs> in the locker room. Like we'll have debates like for hours at lunch and no matter what, like whose team would have beat who and whose team would have won state. And like, it's, it's a huge conversation in the locker room. So I kind of feel like that's kind of a sense of pride for me and everything. And, you know, being from Georgia, I feel like it's important and it's kind of made me who I am today. I think from my playing days, th- those were always the the most fierce debates at, at the the training table. Yeah. The Buford boys, they they would yeah. never stop talking about how good football yeah, was. They, they're always <laughs> going to talk. They're always going to talk. You were a a three star recruit out of high school, but what was the moment that you realized that playing D one was was a real possibility for you? It probably wasn't until my after my sophomore year. Because kind of my dad and coaches in the past have always been like, you know, you're a you're a D1 talent. You're going to go up, grow up and play college football. And I never really believed it. I was always thought like, especially like my dad saying that I was always like, oh, like he has to say that because he's my dad and he wants me to like feel good about like myself and my game. And kind of wasn't really until I started got my first offer from South Carolina. And I was like, OK, wait, this thing like might be a possibility like of me playing college football and I might have something and you know kind of kind of got me started and believing in myself kind of going forward from that so I never really believed into it in it until that starting point and I was like okay now I gotta really pick it up because this is becoming a possibility and I need to do everything I can to set myself up and put myself in the best position to be able to go to the next level and then hopefully play in the NFL you mentioned earlier what attracted you to UNC initially, and you just said that South Carolina was your first offer. But what was your entire recruiting process looking like? Yeah, so um, after my sophomore year, it was kind of like my breakout year. Had like uh, thirteen hundred yards and uh, ten touchdowns. So uh, started getting recruited. I was talking to a lot of different schools. UNC was my third offer, and. Uh, you know, my recruitment was really, really picking up. I was talking to UGA and everything. And after my junior year, uh, third game of junior year, I broke my ankle and I kind of lost like all kind of interest. And it was kind of silent. Like I was hearing from some schools, but, you know, some schools kind of pulled away because I got hurt and I wasn't able to show what I could do that junior year because kind of that junior year was supposed to be kind of a year of making like kind of proving it again like it wasn't a fluke last year like this is who I am as a player so that junior was really big for me and trying to increase that you know my stock and everything for the college level and kind of fell off and kind of going into my senior year I was kind of looking at different schools and kind of who was still with me even though I didn't really play in my junior year so that's a little bit about kind of the journey that I had through the recruitment process. So, Elijah, we're talking with Elijah Green, uh, running back for UNC. This is part of the Heels for Life Players Lounge here on SouthCarolina.com. Elijah, you know, with your dad having the NFL experience that he had, what was his influence on your recruitment, and how did he speak into the process a little bit? You know, he kind of just really, really preached about just the film is going to get you recruited and not to get too much caught up in, you know, the hype and, you know, trying to chase offers and just 
kind of staying focused on the main goal and that's to play your best Friday. And, you know, being at Blessed Trinity, I didn't care too much about like the outside hype. I wasn't going to camps and I wasn't huge on social media and whatnot. Like I was really, really bought into just winning another championship and I feel like kind of all of us at Blessed Trinity would have that same mindset. So, and my dad kind of agreed that like, you know, those things are going to come, those offers are going to come, but as long as I can stay humble and kind of stay focused and kind of have that tunnel vision and block out all the outside noise and knowing that as long as I put my best product every single Friday night on the field and the offers and those things are going to come to me. So he kind of cut me grounded in that sense that, you know, I was going to end up at the school that I need, I wanted to go to based off of what I did. So that was a really, really important for me. And, you know, he played a really, really big role in kind of keeping me focused and keeping the main thing, the main thing and making sure that I was always like, um, always had my eyes set on what was the most important. So you talk about your dad keeping you grounded while you're going through, you know, your high school, high school success and the recruiting process. How did he pick you up when some of those uh, schools that were recruiting you disappeared and they ghosted you? Yeah. um, After my junior year, he kind of, we had a lot of different talks about like, because, you know, I was really, really down on myself and really upset. And I was thinking that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to play college football anymore because of this. And he kind of said something that's always stuck with me is just like, let the injury only affect you physically, because once it takes you mentally, and that's when you're completely beat. So kind of taking that, I was like, okay, this is just a physical injury. I can control my mindset about it and how I think. So I was like, okay, I'm going to come back stronger and I'm going to come back better. I'm going to go even harder with my rehab and everything. And even though I'm not on the field, I'm going to be able to pick up and take care of my teammates, coach up the other running backs and making sure that we don't have a drop off and that we can continue this winning culture. And it kind of took me to, you know, not be selfish and be selfless and really kind of take a step back yes, I'm in the situation. Yes, it sucks. Yes, I might have lost interest. But the only thing I can control going forward is my outlook and my mindset. And it's not going to do me any good to mope and groan and feel bad about myself. I can just pick myself up and keep going and, you know, keep that same focus, that same mindset that got me to the point that I was before the injury. And that was kind of the important thing that my dad told me to do. And, you know, it helped me a lot being able to you know, gain my confidence and continue to believe in myself, even though a lot of people stop believing in me. Yeah, hearing that, that's such a mature mindset for somebody at the high school level. But as you get to Chapel Hill and you're on campus now for, for the Tar Heels, what was your welcome to college moment where you realized that you couldn't get away with some of the things that maybe you got away with in high school? Yeah, I had I had a lot of them. I'm not even going to lie. Um it was kind of like you got plenty of time for them. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I we can be here all night if I talk about all the moments that. But it was even just like the first day of just learning the plays and uh, going through this. Just the tempo, like I was gassed. Like we would go from station to station, and I was just trying to keep up. I was. I remember um, the first drill that we did, and it was like a ball security drill. We had the straps connected to the ball and coach Gillespie was pulling on it and I think he got it out like five times like I could not hold on to the ball and I think it came to a point where like I put the ball under my like 
and I was literally clamping down on my helmet. I was holding with both hands. Like I was doing everything not to get it out. And it was that. And there was not catching the ball at all in high school and then coming to an offense that's uh, RPO offense. And then I get thrown a ball and I drop it. And I'm just like, okay, like, okay, let me, I got to work a little bit on my hands. And uh, probably the last thing that I think about is we were in inside drill and um, it was one of the last reps and coach Gillespie was like, Hey, yeah, you can go in. And they had like uh, the first, the first team defense out on there, but they had like the second and third offensive line. And I think there's some miscommunication with the line and what exactly was the play was. So I'm getting the handoff and all I see is Chaz Surratt just coming full speed as before I even get the ball, he's already maybe like a yard away from me. So I just <laughs> take the ball, just clamp down on it and brace for impact. And he comes just like, just knocks me on my butt. I'm just on the ground and I didn't fumble. So my coach is like, you held on to the ball. Good job. <laughs> and I, was just like, I, up. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's different here. And hey, Vip. How many yeah. of these, how many of the stories that Elijah just told, how many of them start with, we were doing inside drill and dot, 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 dot. <laughs> yeah, l- luckily, luckily I never had to do inside drill, but just so you don't feel alone, Elijah, my first day of practice, uh, all the receivers went to the ball machine and I had never gone to a ball machine. I would just always thrown with quarterbacks and I don't think I caught one until about the 15th one and coach, <laughs> coach Brewer at the time was just yelling at me like, are you okay, son? Are you sure you're a receiver? I'm like, God, get me out of here. Oh, that is too funny. <laughs> that is funny. I appreciate your honesty and your willingness to open up with this, Elijah. I'm talking with Elijah Green here on Inside Carolina's uh, Heels for Life Players Lounge. Um, hoping you'll still continue to open up with us a little bit. Uh, Elijah, tell me about Bryce and, and what does he mean to you? Yeah, so um, Bryce – consider him uh, I'm already getting emotional talking about it um Bryce he's like my brother he's like a brother to me uh grew up here in Georgia he actually lived in Virginia but moved here to Georgia right uh down the street from my grandparents house and that's where I am right now and um he's my cousin my brother best friend and uh, so it was last summer and uh he passed away tragically in a car accident and that was really, really tough for me. He was my best friend, like my whole life, uh, looked up to him. He'd always give me advice. He was my biggest supporter, especially me playing football. And, you know, we did everything together. I would stay with my grandma's at my grandma's house the whole summer so we could hang out. We'd have hangouts. We'd go to the mall. We were huge into wrestling. So we would go into my grandparents' basement. They have like a little bit of a floor. We would set up a camera. And we would do like WWE fake wrestling. Like that was, <laughs> we would do this for hours. And I have videos on my phone of us like flipping each other. I think we broke a couple of chairs in my grandparents' basement <laughs> and was try to like set it up and hope that my grandparents didn't notice. And um, yeah, we, we just had so much fun. We would play video games. Music was uh, a huge thing that we did together. Uh, we didn't make, I think we have one of our first songs we made like 10 years ago. And it's it's kind of tough to listen to now, and um, but it was really really special to me and his brother Chase. So um, yeah, last year 
he uh, died in a car accident on his birthday. And I remember I woke up, it was before conditioning, we had conditioning. And uh, I saw like I had a bunch of missed calls from his little brother. And I thought it was weird, but just kind of went out throughout my day. And then kind of later in the day, I he FaceTimed me again and I answered and he was crying. And he was just like, uh, Bryce is dead. And uh, I kind of paused. I was in the training room at this point. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen, what he was going to say. And I just left, went to the locker room. I was like, wait, what'd you just say? Like, I was just in complete shock. My head just in a daze. I was like in disbelief. And I was like, hey, like, bro, like, it's not something to joke about because we joke about like stuff. And I was like, hey, this is like too far. Like, let's not joke about that kind of thing. And he's like, no, like, and he explained what happened. And you know, I just kind of broke down. Like that was something that was really, really tough for me. And it was, it was kind of sad because a little bit like an hour before my mom was texting me and she's like, Hey, do you want to come home? And thinking back, like kind of why my mom was asking me like randomly why I wanted to come home. Like, I was like, no mom, like got workouts. I got a test tomorrow for summer class. And, you know, I hung up, called my mom and she was just crying. And no, like we went on the phone for about like 30 minutes. I was just, I went to the, the bathroom in the locker room and I was just crying. Just, it was really, really hard for me. And, you know, I got a flight back home and I don't know if he would want me to tell this, but uh, Kevin Donnelly, Coach Donnelly, he, I went up to his office because I don't really know who to go talk to and whatnot. And I texted him. I was like, hey, are you in your office? And he said, yes. So I went up to his office and I walked in and he's like, what's wrong? And just kind of broke down. And I really, really respect Coach Donnelly because he was there for me in that moment. And uh, I didn't know who to go to. And I've always respected him. So he opened up his office to me and I was able to chill in there for a couple hours until my flight came. And uh, yeah, just a little shout out to him because I really, really respected that he was able to do that and be able to be comforting and be with me as I was going through one of the toughest parts of my life. And, you know, kind of after that, it was really, really hard for me. Came home, had the funeral and uh, seemed like everything went really fast. And we kind of started up camp about three weeks later. And, you know, I hadn't really, really dealt with all the emotions, all the things that went on with Bryce and, and a, a little bit, I kind of thought I was fine and I really wasn't. And it kind of took those first couple of days at camp. Like I was just not, not the same. Like I didn't, I just felt like I, I couldn't focus. I couldn't remember the plays. I didn't know the reads. It looked, felt like I was just out there for the first time. And it kind of took me a second to step back and realize really what was the cause of this and what went on. And I hadn't really dealt with all the things that I had uh, gone through with, with Bryce's passing. And, um, you know, it's been the hardest thing for me. And, you know, it took a little bit for me to reach out and get mental health. That's um, something I've been really, really big on because of my experiences about student athlete mental health and the things that we go through because everybody's got stuff going on. And a lot of people, are crying for help, but they're not reaching out and asking for it. And I was one of those people I didn't open up and ask for help. And, you know, inside it was killing me because I wasn't the same person 
and I was kind of withdrawn from my family, my friends, and I would put on a persona like everything was fine when I was truly hurting. And uh, it kind of took me to reach out and get help with our uh, our psych uh, psych people in, at UNC with in sports and started talking to um, a psychiatrist and got a lot of great help that, you know, I will stand on that I would not have been able to get through that without getting the help that I needed from talking to my family and finally open up about how I was feeling, having long talks with my mom and with my dad and my grandparents and also like just leaning on my faith. And um, yeah, so that was, it was a really, really tough for me, but I was able to kind of come on the tail end and, you know, honor Bryce through everything that I did going forward. Uh, life is so short and, you know, sometimes we think that we have all the time in the world when really we really don't. So just kind of trying to dedicate every single day, everything that I did to what Bryce, of what he would have wanted me to do and how he would have wanted me to keep going and how I said he was my biggest fan. He was going to come to all the games next year. And, you know, he was, he was, uh, he always had a dream of playing uh, basketball at UNC. Even like when we were kids, he was always like, yeah, I'm going to play basketball at UNC. So UNC has always been like kind of a special bond between me and him. And uh, I just wanted to dedicate everything I did throughout my play and my season. So when I was kind of down in the slump and didn't know what to do, I kind of held on and latched to that, that I couldn't give up and I had to stay strong because that's what Bryce would have wanted me to do. Man, I appreciate your honesty and your willingness to be vulnerable with us. And and so in that spirit, I'll share with you, you know, I went through um, some dark stuff when I was in, in my early 20s, too. And and you've been such an advocate for uh, for mental health and, and seeking professional treatment uh, for mental and, and emotional issues. What would you say to somebody who might be listening to this or, or watching this that's struggling with an emotional or, or psychological issue around, you know, whether it's a trauma or a loss of a friend or something like that? Um, what would you say to somebody who had that stigma around uh, seeking professional care like like you did? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that it doesn't make you weak to need somebody else. Like you're not weak because of your need to ask for help. It actually makes you strong because it takes strength to be able to open yourself up and get the help that you need. And we're not in this life alone. Like all of us have somebody that we can go to that is willing and able and wants to help us whenever we're going through something. And a big thing for me is you don't want to be a burden and you don't want to be somebody that you feel like you're throwing all your problems on them. But I tell this to my friends, I tell this to anybody, like I'm, I'll gladly carry the burdens and those problems of the people that I love. And I'm sure that the viewers and whoever's struggling with mental health, you have somebody that is willing and able to carry your burden. And you're not a burden because these things that we go through, these things in life, it's heavy and we can't carry all that weight on our own shoulders. So we can have a friend and phone a friend to be able to help us lift those things up. So I feel like in order to be your best self, the best version of yourself, the things that go on mentally can be some of our biggest, biggest walls put up, our biggest chains, our biggest captivity that we can be kept in. And in order to be as happy and live our life to the fullest, we have to be able to release ourselves from those chains that we're holding back by not 
you know, talking about it and speaking up about how we're feeling. And then for, for the most part, fans just see the result and they can get emotional when, when things don't go their way or their team loses. What would you say to fans that might not understand that you guys do go through lows like everybody else and that you're still 17 to 21 year olds and you're people under that helmet too? Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's a, you know, there's a, an expectation for student athletes that we have everything like perfect going on for us. Like, Oh, you guys get college paid for. You don't got student loans. You don't, you're not in debt. You get meals and you get all these cool things and you get to play the sport you love and you don't have to work and everything. But I feel like they have this misconception that we are some like superhumans and we're above everything else, but we're human just like everyone else. And we have feelings. We go through the same trials and tribulations. We go through the same day-to-day things with our family, with our friends, relationships, and a lot of things can impact our play, can impact what we do. And, you know, it's tough balancing school, football, and then having to deal with everything that life throws at us. So um, I feel like a lot of people don't see how we're feeling and they don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but you know, every single athlete probably has a story like mine or has a story that's, you know, impacted their life in some crazy way. And, you know, it's important to be compassionate and, you know, have understanding for every single person and know that we are all human. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. And that we're just still all trying to navigate this life, life like everyone else. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One of your trials that you had is you suffer an injury to your hand. You're playing with a club on it, which can make it pretty difficult being a running back and trying to secure the ball. How difficult was that entire process? Yeah, that that was probably one of the toughest injuries for me, like probably even a little bit more tougher than like breaking my ankle just because you don't understand like how much you use like your thumb in different things. Like I was trying to figure out how to brush my teeth and how to take a shower and just do simple day-to-day things. Like I couldn't figure out how to do it. Like I had to get help doing certain things. So it was really, really tough for me. And then being at practice, being a running back and you have a huge club, over your hand. So I always had to switch the ball to my left hand and everything. So, but it was kind of cool because I would still, regardless of 
my hand, I would still do everything else that all the running backs were doing when we would go and we have a period where it's like running back and quarterback and we'll work on our routes and stuff. I was just still going through the routes as normal and catching just with my left hand, like, and I was catching them all. So I kind of think that was, I kind of pride myself on that, that I didn't let it hold me back from getting better and continue to work on the things that I needed to work on. And, you know, I felt like I could still develop and not let it be a crutch for me, but, you know, use it as a strength and find the good out of everything that kind of went on. But it was really, really tough because it was really heavy and it would feel so tight and like it would smell like it was just like all the <laughs> things that you would think about, like it just was not a good situation. But, um, you know, and at first it wasn't as easy as like, you know, how I'm saying with saying it was like when it first happened, that was kind of when I was at my lowest as mentally and kind of as a football player because, you know, uh, I was lost my best friend. Uh, I wasn't playing football. Like I couldn't use my hand. I wasn't able to play run, play a running back. And the doctors were like, yeah, this is going to be like a, a 12 week thing that you won't be able to get your cast off for. So they're like, you're probably not going to play for, the whole season for the rest of the season. And um, I'll be honest, it, I had some talks with my dad and he's like, Hey, like you still got a red shirt. Is this something that you could potentially use? Is that something you want to think about? And this was like, before I had like played that fourth game, he's like, is this something that you want to think about? Because, you know, you don't want to waste a complete year of, you know, having this thumb thing, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to play running back at all. And, you know, maybe we can redshirt and think about possibly transferring after the season. And um, when we kind of had that conversation, that was kind of like, that was, I feel like the lowest part. Cause I was like, you know, my whole life is about to be uprooted and I didn't really know really much what to think. I was like, had a lot of decisions kind of on my plate and, uh, I thought about it for a couple of days. It kind of kept me up. I was, I was barely sleeping and, you know, I would think about it constantly. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And uh, it was on a Thursday. I was in the car and I called my dad back and I was just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to play the rest of the season. I was like, I got an important role on special teams and I can make plays even though I have one hand. And I was just like, you know, I'm not the type of player that's going to walk out on my team. And it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to ride the season out because, you know, that's, that's just who I am as a person. That's who I am as a player. Not want to back down on my team. It's like, I need to do everything I can personally to help my team win, whether that's on special teams, whether that's helping the defense, preparing on scout team. I was like, dad, I feel like I'm going to have a chance at some point in the season to be able to play running back. I was like, I don't know when, I don't know how it happened, but I was like, I just got a feeling that, you know, I'm going to have a chance. And he's like, okay, well, we need to do everything possible to get ready for that opportunity. So went back that uh, following week, went to the doctor. I was like, hey, is there anything else I can do to like get out of this cast? What, what can I do? I was just like, just take it off. And this is only five weeks off the surgery. He's like, uh, after the breaking it, he's like, I don't know. He's like, this isn't smart. You run risk of, you know, ruining your thumb for, you know, the rest of your life, potentially, this can be something that is going to linger on as you're getting older and everything. And I was like, I talked with the our sports uh, 
with sports medicine staff, talked with Luke, and we kind of agreed that I was kind of willing to take a little bit of a risk to be able to get out of the cast and move into just like a little splint on my thumb. And that he thought it was safe enough that I would be able to minimize as much risk as possible, but there's still always that risk that I could injure it even worse and wouldn't need surgery in the future. So I, we kind of made the decision. I was like, yeah, get me out of the cast and got out of the cast, got into a splint, had a meeting with my coach. I was like, Hey, got my, uh, got my cast off. I was just like, you know, I'm going to be ready when, when you need me. Was, that's all I said. And, you know, played a little bit more on scout team was solidifying a little bit more of a role on special teams and doing everything I could. And then it was, uh, the, it was two weeks after that, that coach Longo came to me. He was like, Hey, this was on a Friday. So I didn't, I got moved off a of scout team. I was getting a little bit more reps with our, with the first and second team and just kind of like rotating in and out of there because some of the other running backs got hurt. And he was like, you know, if our run came, can't get started tomorrow. He's like, we're putting you in. And I was like, Oh, I like, I didn't, I didn't know how serious he was. I was like, okay, like I'm going to be ready. So kind of prepared the same way I do as a regular game and kind of got to the point on the start on the sideline. And I didn't know that it was a real, like I was, it was a real chance of me getting in until like, <laughs> I was just watching the the game on like the complete opposite side of the sideline because I wanted like the best view of like the defense. So like I would go all the way to the end where like all the offensive players weren't. And like, all I hear is like people just screaming my name, like Elijah, like get your butt over here. Like it's a scary you know, feeling. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching the game. Like, <laughs> What am I supposed to be doing? He's like, you need to be no next to Coach Porter. You need to be down here at the offense. So I was like, okay, like maybe I got a shot of going in. So like um, Coach Porter threw me out for like two plays before the half. And then kind of in the locker room, Coach Porter came up to me. And he was like, hey, we're going to ride with you for the, the second half. He's like, just make the most of your opportunity. And I was like, okay, like. Like I'm ready, like I've prepared, I've been working this whole this whole time for this moment. So wanted to kind of make the most of that opportunity and kind of went in and kind of took off from there. So you were really uh, in the bottom of the valley and, and dealing with with loss and dealing with injury and, you know, considering transferring and like having dark nights where you're not sleeping. And then all of a sudden you have six straight games where you're getting 50-plus rushing yards to end the season. Yeah. What's what's it like to go from, you know, absolutely like just your 40 days in the wilderness now all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, I've, I found something. I found a home. Like, I'm, I'm finding me again. Explain to us what that was like. Yeah, it was really, really cool to kind of think back and just reflect on everything that I've gone through and just – you know, just looking back on thinking about Bryce and thinking about my thumb and, you know, before I got my first start against Virginia, it was like that night before I was just thinking, I'm like, wow, like I've got all the way to this point, like after everything that I've been through and, you know, it kind of proved to myself and showed me how resilient that I could be and, you know, that I was meant to be here and, you know, how much that hard, how far can hard work can truly get you. 
And, you know, I've always tried to be the hardest working person. And, you know, sometimes I always didn't get the results that I wanted. And sometimes it didn't happen as soon as I wanted, wanted it to. But, you know, just all the stacking the little days and working in the dark and doing things that people weren't doing things, it really, really made me, gave me the confidence, I feel like, to be able to take those those last six games and truly be able to put on the best performance that I could and, you know, taking those things, uh, I was, I was really, I was, it meant a lot to me to be able to have that opportunity to do that and to show what I can do and, you know, try to make the most of the opportunities that I was given. My roommate in, in college was uh, Mac Hollins. We were, we were both walk-ons and we quickly realized that the quickest way to get on the travel squad was through special teams and, and finding mm-hmm. a way through there. Can you speak on the not only the importance of special teams, but how special teams is often a, a forgotten phase of football? Yeah, no, special teams is huge. And I did not know this going into college at all. Like, I thought special teams were just like, you know, just a thing that you just do in between. Like, that's a kind of the part where people can go grab popcorn and get eat the rest of their wing and eat the pizza and then start paying attention when like the offense and defense are on the on the field but like special teams is such an important phase and a lot of young players don't understand this and just speaking from experience like coming in as a freshman you like oh yeah I'm, I was the best player in high school and you know I'm going to come here and uh, I'm going to get in the rotation I'm going to play and you know that's not the case for a lot of players and that wasn't the case for me and it took me a little bit to grow and really humble myself and be like, okay, how can I find a role on the team? If special teams is the way I can find a role, then I'm going to be the best special teams player that I could possibly be. And, you know, that's, I feel like special teams really prepares you to be able to play offense and defense because of the speed of the game. It's the same speed of the game and being able to get on the field and go through those things, have that contact, be on the field. It gives you experience and it also gives you a little bit confidence. So, a lot of people kind of brush it to the side, but it's extremely important important for development and finding a role when your role might not be on offense or defense. So that was an important thing for me was like, even when I broke my thumb and, you know, running, playing running back wasn't an option at the point. I was like, I'm going to be the best uh, special teams player as possible. I'm going to find every single role. I'm going to work on it and I'm going to find a way to make an impact on the field every single time I'm on it. The running back room for Carolina, it's arguably the most crowded in in the Keenan football center. You have yourself, British Brooks comes back from an injury. You have the two true freshmen from last year, George Petaway and Amarin Hampton. And you also have somebody like Caleb Hood, who's been in and out of the rotation at times. How do you guys look at that room and and try to make each other better? Um, I feel like, it's really important for us. I feel like we have like one of the closer like position groups because we're all really, really cool with each other and we're all good friends. And I feel like we pride ourselves on how diverse the talent is in our group and how we all bring special things to the table. And I feel like we all try to use those things to compete with each other. So we're competing in the weight room. We're competing on whenever we're doing conditioning or testing times like 
when you have so many talented guys in a room, you have no choice but to continue to elevate your game. And as you're elevating your game, you're helping other guys give get motivation to elevate their game. So I think it's all about just making each other better and finding ways that we can impact the team. And, you know, the better we are, the better the team is. So, you know, understanding that and having so much talent there is always pushing you to a higher standard to continue to elevate your game. We talked with Caleb. Yeah, we talked with Caleb Hood earlier this year, and uh, Caleb was kind of alluding to the fact that all of you guys bring something different to that running back room. Mm -hmm. What's something you would like to improve on uh, this year that you know that maybe um, somebody didn't really see as as your super strength last year? What's something that you've been working on since since the season's been over? uh, Yeah, to maybe elevate your game. Yeah, yeah, big thing that I've been working on this offseason has been pass protection. You know, I had some opportunities to do pass protect that I missed last year and things that I kind of whiffed on. So that's been a huge thing on me is just being more consistent in pass protection and making sure that's a strong suit of mine. That was probably the biggest thing and the biggest thing kind of I took away from the season. And the next thing was more of be working on my lateral quickness. I talked with some people and finding ways and drills, how I can improve my lateral quickness. So that's was a big thing with my footwork and my twitch that I've worked on this off season that I've made a lot of huge strides. And so that was kind of the two things that changed direction, lateral quickness and that pass protection that I kind of identified as kind of reflecting and looking back on the season, watching the tape. And uh, probably the last thing has just been, I've been really, really, more invested in becoming a student of the game like i've always worked hard and done everything possible physically but it's been huge like part of the mental game now for me is uh getting into the playbook and truly understanding the responsibility of every single person on the field and then being able to even learn from other running backs. So I've watched different running backs around college football and, you know, what they do good and how I can learn from them and what they do, what makes them so successful. So it's learning from other running backs and then understanding our scheme really like better. And I feel like that's really, really helped me develop a lot as a player this uh, off season. Elijah, real quick, let's uh, adjust your camera a little bit. You're kind of getting cut okay, in half. Yeah, yeah. Notice that, that shadows. Let's see if this is. That shadow's bugging you, so I want to make sure you you feel comfortable while you're while you're wrapping up with us. As long as it's not in your eyes, I think we're okay. Yeah, let me move this. And while he's doing that, we're talking with Elijah Green here on the Players Lounge, brought to you by HeelsForLife.org on InsideCarolina.com. Heels for Life. Heels the number four life. Org, that is the NIL collective for UNC's football team. Uh, Elijah has been very, uh, very open and honest with us, and it's it's been a pleasure to speak with him so far. Elijah, the next question I'll ask you. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, next question I'll ask you is, how does playing with a Heisman candidate affect your preparation and your practice for the game? Yeah, uh, you know, we obviously we got the the best quarterback in the country, and you know. You don't want to let them down. So every time you're on the field, you want to make sure that you're, you know, your assignment and you fulfill your assignment to the best of your abilities. And having Drake on there, I feel like he elevates all of our games because it shows because of how he prepares and what he does to 
make sure that he is the best player and quarterback possible. I feel like it's contagious and it makes us want to, you know, hold ourselves to a higher standard and be able to elevate ourselves so we can help him and all of his goals and everything that he's got going on. So, you know, having a guy like Drake is great and how he's a leader and he's really, really been able to take initiative and continue to uh, encourage the guys and bring our offense together has been really, really cool to see in this off season. And it's been important for, you know, our whole offense and getting a lot more continuity and chemistry between all the guys. What were your first impressions of coach Lindsay and coach Clements and what do you think they've added since coming to Chapel Hill? You know, uh, I, I really, really like them. Uh, uh, me and coach Lindsay, we have something in common because he actually coached in Georgia. He was a high school uh, head coach at Lassiter, which isn't too far from, from where I live. So kind of have that same kind of thing in uh, Georgia football and uh, just kind of when they came in first meeting, they said, wait, we're going to establish the run and we're going to be more downhill and more dominant in the run game. And, you know, for a running back, my ears perk up and my eyes get wide because I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I like to hear. This is what um, I came here for. So um, I feel like from day one, they established that identity is that we're going to pass the ball. We got the best quarterback in the country, but we also got a really talented running back room and we are going to run the ball. And I feel like hearing that made me really excited. And, you know, that excitement did not go away throughout the spring because this install and the things that he continued to bring to the offense, I felt like played to my strengths and played to a lot of the strengths of the guys in the running back room and just the plays off of it, getting us out of the backfield, getting us in uh, in pass plays has been a really, really important and really cool dimension that uh, that we're doing this year. So I've been really, really excited that, things that these guys uh that coach Clements and coach Lindsay have brought in I'm really excited for you guys to be to see the product that we put on the field a couple of new coaches but there there's also times where you lose games and you're sitting in that locker room and you're just thinking about how much better you guys can be with players if if there's more accountability and, and more player leadership that was kind of the case from our 2014 to 2015 season um in Chapel Hill what does the leadership look like in your guys' locker room, especially like last year when things aren't going your way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the leadership has really developed throughout the last year because obviously those last four games were not who we are as a team. And we had to sit back and figure out how can we finish? How can we finish off the season that, you know, we could have easily won 12, 13 games based off of, you know, how the season was going. So how can we stay strong in the fourth quarter? How can we finish those close games? And that's been huge for us and a mentality that we've brought into the weight room, into our conditioning. It's like every single time that we're on our last rep of conditioning and we always hold up fourth quarter because of how important it is and being able to reinforce that with the guys. And, you know, I've try to speak out as a leader and become more vocal. And a lot of other guys have been able to step up and become more vocal and knowing that a player led team is going to be the best team in the, in the country, because if it's coach led, it's, you don't have the passion, you don't have the drive of those players, but when it's player led, that's when guys really, really buy in because they know everything about the team. They know the ins and outs. They know how to, get guys going, they know how to motivate. And I feel like those are the best teams in the country. So how can we develop that culture? How can we 
figure out ways to be more player led has been huge for us this off season. And I feel like we've made a lot of development in that aspect because um, I feel like our team's a lot better led and we have some leaders on the defense on the offense that have really stepped up. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the, the player led aspect of it all, because that was one of the biggest things for us in, in 2015, where when we got to training camp, we kind of looked around and we were like, it doesn't matter who's coaching us. It doesn't matter what play calls come in. We are just going to find a way to win. And I, I think that's that's why we were so successful is because the players took kind of that ownership of our team and, and wanting to be prideful of what we were putting out there on the field. And I think you guys do have a lot of those same characteristics when, when I watch you guys and when I listen to some of you guys talk. Mm-hmm. So million-dollar question, Elijah. Uh, what do you expect from this year's team? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have huge expectations for this team just from what I've seen throughout the spring and throughout the summer. You know, you know, I feel like our the sky's the limit for this team and we're all really, really bought in and we're really excited for what we're going to do this season. You know, we're not going to speak too much on it because our play is going to show how motivated and excited we truly are. But uh, we have high expectations for us, and we're going to continue to elevate those expectations and continue to get better throughout training camp so we're ready for that first game. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, how are you guys turning last year's finish into motivation for this year? You mentioned the, you know, holding up the four at the end of each uh, end of each practice rep and conditioning rep. But what else are you guys doing, whether it be as a position group or, or as a whole squad, to, to kind of take last year's uh, end and, and use it to motivate you? Um, I feel like it's just having that mindset of finishing kind of like fourth quarter and um, remembering. I feel like the important thing is to remember the bad taste that we had in our mouth at the end of the season. And I use that as motivation. A lot of us did not feel good at those last four games. So it's kind of more about reinforcing how we finished and what it felt like and how it could have been completely different if we, you know, finish those last four games so i think more of it is about reinforcing and remembering it and using that as motivation to be able to push us so when we are in those situations this season and when things are tight that we can continue to remember that feeling that bad taste in our mouth and continue to push and prevail through you've been real gracious with your time so we're going to have some rapid fire questions okay before we get you out of here who is the player that people aren't talking about now that they'll be talking about once the season starts? Could be offense or defense. Hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Elijah Huzzy. Dude, have have we gone like, like a hundred percent with people saying Huzzy on this, on that same question, Vip? Yeah. You guys are hyping him up right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say Elijah Huzzy. You know, he's, He's a, he's a great player. I feel like he's going to surprise everyone this season. And then what is on Elijah Green's pregame playlist? Pregame playlist, mostly a little baby. Yeah, probably just I'll put on my turn by little baby and play the whole album. That's usually what I'm listening to. That's another popular answer. Um, they'll probably tell there's a lot of a lot of little baby bumping in the in the Keenan Football Center yeah, locker rooms sure. pregame. Uh, so. Me and Vip and Elijah Green are going out to dinner. Uh, no bill. Where are we going? We're going to Capitol Grill. It's oh, like over my, in Raleigh. 
Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite steak place. Like the porcini rub uh, ribeye is like to mm. die. It's so good. Got to get it. Got to get it cooked to medium rare. That's that's if you get anything past, I'll say medium should be the most that your your steaks cooked. I, like Absolutely. I go to dinner with some guys, and they ask for like medium well or like well done. Savages. No, you're ruining the steak at that point. If you're going to get a nice steak, it's got to be medium rare. I'll stand on that every single time. Yeah, we, we can't hang out with rubes that are getting like their steak well done. You're, you're absolutely yeah, no, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> All right. Um, who is the best roommate on the road? Best roommate on the road? What do you mean like um, just like as we're traveling the games? Yeah, yeah. When you guys are traveling. Yeah, or training camp. Yeah. Like who, who, uh, who's somebody you, you'd love to room with? Yeah, uh, British, definitely British Brooks. That's always been my roommate for like all the bowl games, for all the games, for uh, I don't think, yeah, and for training camp last year. Yeah, me and British, he's one of my best friends on the team. So it's always fun to room with him. What do you like to do outside of football? Because you guys spend so much time in, in that building and it's always football, football, football. But what's, what's Elijah like off the field? Uh, I like to play golf. I like I've gotten uh, a little bit bigger in a golf because a lot of the guys have taken it up on the team. So we actually had like uh, a golf tournament this past spring, and we had like a whole like like a whole Masters tournament, like a football Masters. So a lot of us are playing golf. So that's something I've been really really big into this spring. I like to play golf. Um, I like I like making music. That was something that I did with Bryce, and I've uh, continued doing it. Uh, even after he's passed. So that's something that I really enjoy doing. And then just uh, spending time with my friends and my family and, you know, just relaxing. Usually when I'm not busy, I want to be able to sit down and get off my feet because I'm on my feet doing something all the time. So being able to make turn on a Netflix show, turn on something and really just chill. All right. And, and last one, and we'll let you get out of here. And, and Elijah, you've been very, uh, very gracious and, and, and open with us. And we really appreciate it. What does NIL mean to Elijah Green? Help us understand how that has uh, affected your life and, and your, uh, your tenure as a college student. You know, I feel like it's just um, given us the opportunity to really maximize our time that we have in college. And I feel like a lot of people forget that we have lives outside and we have different obligations of things that we have to take care of, whether it's rent, food and everything that isn't always covered. And, you know, I just have an opportunity to be able to use our image and likeness to be able to make money. I feel like is really, really important because we work so hard. It's like we got more than a nine longer than a nine to five job. So just being able to just you know get a little bit of, put a little bit of value on what we're doing. I feel like it's really, really been cool to be able to see around college sports. Well, you've definitely brought value to this show and, and I'll let Vip speak on his own, but I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and, and feel smarter and definitely feel, uh, I feel like I've got a, a whole new yeah. perspective, at least for you. And, and I know, I know Bryce is, is proud of what you've, uh, what you've turned your career into thus far. Vip, you got anything for Elijah before we get out of here? I was going to say you're a junior now. If the NFL doesn't work out, you could always come back and, and be my podcast co-host. Love, love right. talking. I, I, you know what? I'd, I'd, gla I'd gladly bow out and just, just hand it off to him. I, yeah, I know what I'll take over your spot. <laughs> I know, I know when I'm whipped, man. It's all right. Well, Elijah, we appreciate it, man. I know that uh, everybody listening to and, and watching this is going to be uh, rooting for you, especially coming up this season. 
Uh, here's hoping that uh, you have a healthy camp and, and that, that the season turns really good for you. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys. All right. That's Elijah Green. Heels for Life Players Lounge. Again, heelsforlife.org. Go check them out. Be a contributor. You can support people like Elijah and his story and his teammates who also have stories. And hopefully you've appreciated hearing those as we've been doing this series throughout the summer. But until next time, for Elijah Green, for Taylor Viplis, I'm Joey Powell. We appreciate you being a part of this show here on InsideCarolina.com. Late. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.